Welcome. You are listening to the Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm Meryl Arnett, mama, meditator, and head of mindfulness for Shoreline Meditation App. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a 20-minute guided meditation. If these meditations support you and your practice, please consider donating to the show to support its continued growth, new offerings, and its ever-expanding team. You can find the link in today's show notes or simply visit MerylArnett.com and click on podcast. All right, y'all, let's practice. Welcome, you guys, to another episode of The Mindful Minute. Thank you for tuning in. Before we get into today's talk and meditation, I want to introduce you to a really cool company called Unglue. Unglue is offering this very interesting, well-designed, portable meditation chair Everything is contained within one small, lightweight box, takes about 30 seconds to set up, And it supports your spine, your hips, your knees. So you know if you've sat cross-legged on the ground, sometimes our feet fall asleep. Sometimes we get pain in our hips and our low backs or even behind our shoulder blades. The Unglue Meditation Chair is really designed to support all body types so that we can sit comfortably and enjoy our meditation practice. Be sure to check it out at unglue.com. That's U-N-G-L-O-O. Dot com. Again, that's U-N-G-L-O-O dot com. And if you use code MINDFUL10, that's MINDFUL10, you save 10% on your order. Be sure to check them out today. I am so, so happy to bring this episode to you. I have been wanting for probably years at this point to bring a conversation about poetry to you listeners. And I know it maybe sounds odd at first, but I have found such a connection between meditation and poetry over the years, and I am not a poet, and I didn't really know how to talk about it. And today, I am bringing you the most delightful conversation with author James Cruz. James is the author of several award-winning poetry books, including The Book of What Stays, Telling My Father, Bluebird, and Every Waking Moment. And he also is the editor of several anthologies of poetry. The most recent one that just came out is called The Path to Kindness. James is joining us today to talk about poetry in an accessible mindful, creative way. He's a delight to listen to. He shares one of my favorite poems of his called Self-Care. And you know, it's interesting because he also leads mindfulness and writing retreats online and throughout the country. He works as a creative coach, and he brings such insight to a practice that I feel like easily feels inaccessible. So I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Let's listen in. All right. Well, James, welcome so much to the Mindful Minute. Thank you for taking some time this morning to chat. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Meryl. It's my pleasure. 
you know, I said right before we hit record how excited I am for this conversation and how much I have wanted to talk to a poet about why poetry feels so much like meditation. So I'd love to sort of jump in with a big question. (laughs) (laughs) How does the practice of writing or reading poetry become so introspective? Well, you know, it's a great question, and I feel like I've been living into this question for the last 10 years. So, And you would think I'd have a nice neat answer by now, but I'm not sure that I do. And I think it's in part because poetry and meditation do feel so related. And because of that, they are both really difficult to talk mm-hmm. about, you know, in terms of giving words to the process and especially you know, saying how to do something or, you know, how the two might be related. What I've come to mostly, and this is really in the last couple of years, I would say, really giving a lot of attention to the idea of writing. And for me, because I mainly write poetry, why writing poetry is part of my spiritual practice and Mm. part of my mindfulness meditation practice. And I think it is because for me, Meditation is about watching non-judgmentally whatever comes up in, you know, the body, mind, heart, you know, the whole system. And I think that poetry and writing really live in that same space of paying non-judgmental attention to what's coming up. And not even just that, but allowing what's coming up Mm. and embracing it and that's been a real touching kind of touch point for me in my writing practice the past few years is realizing that when I was kind of giving more doubt and fear to the process, I was really blocking things from coming up or just not allowing myself to fully share what was coming up for me in my poetry practice with the world And noticing that I was doing the same thing with a lot of stuff that was coming up in my body and mind. And so once I kind of opened up the floodgates, if you will, Mm. I feel like that changed everything. And, you know, and it's been a mutual kind of giving between each of these two practices. So that in the end, I think, as a lot of other teachers, folks like Natalie Goldberg have said, that, that these are just really one practice, that they, they do merge in the end. Yeah, I, I really feel that as a reader of poetry. And it's interesting, as you were talking about the non-judgmental aspect, which I also talk about quite a bit when teaching meditation, and hand-in-hand hand with that goes the compassion piece, right? The way that we're kind to ourselves about whatever rises up. And I think it's so interesting when I think about poetry, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind for me typically is it's beautiful. Even if it's not a beautiful subject, right? Even if it's a painful poem, there's a beauty to be felt in that. It's, a, again, a difficult thing to talk about, but I think the same is true even when we allow our own painful experiences to rise up, there is some sort of hidden beauty in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The word that comes to mind is, you know, definitely beautiful, but also it's a relief when we're Mm -hmm. able to express fully 
whatever our experience is and and to just allow that to be with us in the world i think one level is expressing that with ourselves the next level is maybe sharing that with people we love and then maybe another kind of concentric circle would be to put that on the page and for me it's whether it's journaling or poetry you know however that expression takes form I think it doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of giving form to the expression. And it is beautiful. I'm glad that you're saying it's really beautiful, even if the subject is not or is not stereotypically thought of as beautiful. Mm -hmm. Because really, you know, I encounter a lot of folks who are in that same process of fearing and doubting whatever is coming up for them in their writing practice because. You know, I had someone say to me recently, like, well, I, I really want to write poems that uplift people and that bring light. And, you know, instead, all of these, you know, dark and difficult things are coming. And I just think like, well, that's beautiful, too. That's necessary, yes. too. And perhaps that needs to be expressed before you can get to the uplifting stuff and the and the light stuff. And it's probably going to go back and forth just as it does in our minds when we're sitting in meditation or even just throughout the day. You know, it's not all light. It's not all rainbows in, in the mind. And so if our art is a true reflection of who we are and really a snapshot of our minds, then I think in order to be accurate, it has to hold the beauty of light and the beauty of sorrow at the same time. Your new book, The Path to Kindness, Poems of Connection and Joy, I think mm. does this, James, in a beautiful way. It was such a pleasure to sit with this book. One of the questions that came up for me pretty quickly is, this is an anthology, so it's not mm -hmm. just your poetry. It's your poetry and many other poets, some of whom I recognized and many I did not. How do you go about compiling poems mm -hmm. like this? It's so mind-blowing yeah. to me. Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for saying all that you're saying about the book. I, I'm so glad that it is resonating with you and hope it will for other readers too. In terms of choosing the poems, you know, it is not an easy process. It is a longer process. But as someone who's been teaching, you know, in university settings and in private settings for the last 15 years, I'm always looking for poems that touch me in a deeper place. Again, it's really hard to give language to what is this poem doing? What is it opening? It's something is happening. So it is this kind of inchoate feeling that's difficult to describe, but I know it when I feel it, you know, having read a lot of poetry and written quite a bit over the past few years. Mm. And so I'm really just paying attention to that and gathering as I go, and I'm blessed to be in touch with a lot of poets, both well-known and emerging, and folks who are coming to poetry for the first time or returning to it. And so I just have a lot of poems crossing my desk at any given mm -hmm. moment. And I think that is the gift of my job that I've set myself with these anthologies is to, you know, just be on the lookout for those poems that open up something in me and that will do the same for others. 
And I think at a given time, I'm always looking for poems that speak to what we all seem to be needing, you know, right now, like hopefully universal. So those needs will continue to be met in the future Mm -hmm. by future readers. But I'm really looking for poems that speak to our moment. And so my last anthology was all about poems of gratitude and hope because even before the pandemic, I had started working on this that other book and had noticed that those elements were really missing for us. And I was encountering so many people who felt hopeless about the future. And mm-hmm. they were feeling it was really impossible to love and appreciate the world, mm-hmm. even in spite of the brokenness, you know, which I feel like is always available to us. And with this new book, The Path to Kindness, I guess I was just feeling that, you know, as we emerge from the pandemic very shakily, I know for myself anyway, and very slowly, that we are going to need reminders of how to be together again, how to feel Mm -hmm. joy again, and just how to connect both with others and with ourselves. I think a lot of folks, myself very much included, realized how they weren't paying enough attention to that self-compassion piece that you mentioned earlier and the self-care piece. And so I really just looked for poems that were speaking to all those elements. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, I, I think of anthology making as a very meditative, intuitional process as well. You know, when you set the intention, like, I, I really want to find poems that are filled with kindness, joy, and connection, they just start flowing toward you, or you just Mm. notice them more. And so that's another great gift of setting that intention. And not only that, and I hope this translates into the reading of the book too, but when I was finding these poems and, and putting the book together, I found myself noticing even just the smallest instance of kindness in my own life. And so making this book oriented my mind, not only to the poems that fell into the subject, but also to just the everyday acts that I was encountering that were filled with kindness too, or or chances where I could be more kind and give to others. You know, when I, I think on the surface, when I hear something like, poems of kindness and connection or connection and joy i think like oh these are these are very big topics these are going to be deep metaphorical complex poems perhaps mm-hmm. and i was so delighted by i guess the way i would word it is my impression is so many of these poems feel like they're about the magic in the mundane yeah i mean there were there were several about laundry that made me weep <laughs> truly and i'm like laundry is my most hated chore on the planet Same. it's the bane of my existence <laughs> i marked it the poem chore yeah. by angela i hope i say this right angela narcisco torres narciso torres yeah narcio narcio torres yeah so stunningly beautiful and it's about folding laundry it is not this deep metaphorical complex poem and it's so moving yeah yeah 
Well, I think, you know, like I said, it's the same thing for me. I don't know why, <laughs> you know, I can do the laundry, but I just can't seem to fold it. It just lives oh, in the dryer really forever same. until I have to do laundry <laughs> again. And the laundry is never done. It's never fully done, right? There's always more, especially if you have a family, there's just always more to do. And so, so I love that poem because she's talking about how she has this friend who sees everything as sort of sacred, everything as a prayer. And so she's not saying like, I see everything as a prayer. I see everything as sacred. She's saying, I have this friend and sort of watching him, noticing how he does things has helped me to see things differently and to even take pleasure in folding laundry for loved ones. And there's another poem, I think that comes right after that, that talks about a similar thing. And it was really reframing for me to just think about like, oh, you're doing laundry for yourself. So it's a self-care act, but it's also this, it can be this act of love for the people in your household. Their bodies are going to be held by these clothes and just noticing that they're still warm from the dryer. If unlike me, you take them out after they're done. Um <laughs> And just like, just paying attention. So I love that laundry can become this meditative act. Somehow I've been able to do it with doing the dishes, but I'm still working on the laundry piece. And I love, Meryl, how you put it. These poems are so often about the magic of the mundane. Because I don't know about you and your meditation practice and, you know, being a student of mindfulness. But for me... I know that I have found so much more magic in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the mundane, since really taking my meditation practice seriously. I just feel like there's so much delight to be found in daily chores, the things that we might resist. And I don't think I would have found it if it were not for the grounding practice of meditation. And I can meditate, like I used to just meditate in the beginning of the day and toward the end of night before bed. And now if I'm feeling really activated and anxious, as I often can feel, I will sit down and meditate in the middle of the day if I can. And sometimes even just, you know, 10, 20 minutes, whatever time I can steal. And it just changes everything. And I find myself coming back to those tasks that I might have been resisting with a lot more relish and appreciation. Mm -hmm. So I just, I want to thank you for noticing that about these poems. I feel like I seek out certain poems because I need, I need them as, you know, to teach me how to appreciate my life even more as it is, because I know from watching loved ones who are very close to me pass away, and in some cases very early, that it is these little things that we miss the most, you know? Yeah. James, will you tell us a little bit about your meditation journey? How did you start meditating? What does your practice look like today? Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I started practicing meditation kind of at the urging of a good friend of mine. I had known that she was more into meditation for a while and it was at a really difficult point in my life, kind of trying to figure out 
what was next for me after grad school, where I was going to live, and just felt very restless, jumping around, literally just jumping around to different parts of the country and different jobs. And I remember I came to visit her. She lives in, in Minnesota. It was a really snowy, cold day, and she's like, well, I think we need to do something for ourselves. And I have a yoga tape and I have a meditation tape. And so which one do you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) And I've always been a little intimidated by yoga. Not so much now, but at the time I was. And so I chose the meditation (laughs) because it seemed easier. Now, (laughs) to people who who are listening, meditate, you're going to think like, wow, did he have that wrong? (laughs) And so I chose the more difficult thing, but it ended up being one of the greatest gifts of my life. And I don't say that lightly. And so we did that. And, you know, it was very difficult. And of course, I felt like I was doing it wrong, as I think we all do for for the first periods of time that we practice. But there was something. I knew that there was something. And so I kept up with it. Whenever I would visit that friend, we would go on little meditation retreats at a a nearby meditation center. And then I started doing more of that on my own. And, you know, it doesn't mean that there were not other periods of difficulty and, and deep distraction in my life after that point. But I knew that the practice was always there. And like writing for me, I think of it as a container that can hold me, that can hold Mm -hmm. the difficult times, pleasant and joyful times, and can allow me to just feel through both of those times. So what I practice now, it still feels like a bit of a mishmash um, of different traditions, but what I practice now, I guess, would be more accurately called insight meditation. And I practice a lot at a center nearby in Massachusetts called the Insight Meditation Society. But I'm really a proponent of what I think of as just simple meditation. I feel like people can get really intimidated by doing it this right way or that wrong way. You know, it it, it is important, I think, to have a specific practice. but, But really, it's just about sitting still for me and at the most difficult times, just paying attention to my breath. Sometimes if I'm really, really anxious or my mind is busy, I will even count my breaths in sets of four, you know, in-breath, out-breath one, in-breath, out-breath two. And um, Mm -hmm. I find that that really calms me down and that that can be done, you know, in the car before a difficult meeting or encounter, just anywhere out in the world. And I I tend to meditate at least a couple of times a day. I've learned not to beat myself up about it and cause more suffering if I, you know, quote-unquote, miss a meditation. But I do notice when, when I don't do it, you know, I've heard it described as like, you wouldn't leave the house probably without brushing your teeth. Like, to let it be as you know, both useful and mundane as brushing the teeth, but something that we really just do for ourselves, for our own health. And I try to think of it in that way. I love that. That's exactly how I think of it. Mm. You know, it's the way that I really hope to be sharing and teaching about meditation is 
much like your poems, it it is the magic in the mundane and it doesn't have to be a retreat in the Himalaya mountains that lasts three months and you come back a, right. a monk or a nun or something. You just get to be you as you are in mm-hmm. the middle of your life. And mm-hmm. this practice enhances that mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah, I just, I have to say, I love what you just said. You get to be you in the Mm. middle of your life. And that just felt like a relief when you said that to me. I know that's going to feel like a relief to to other folks who are listening. And I think it, it is how I feel about writing and poetry too, because my mission and purpose I I've sort of taken on for myself is to bring poetry to the mainstream, to everyone mm-hmm. as a practice. You know, I want it to be as common and useful as journaling, that it doesn't have to be the special thing that you go off and get a master's degree or study with this or that person, that it can be, it doesn't have to include all of these rules. It, you can just be you and write about your own life in poetry or or whatever art you practice. But especially with poetry, I think we tend to, like meditation, kind of put it on a pedestal where I I think it belongs. Yeah. You know, I'm interested. I know that you lead mindfulness in writing, workshops or retreats. And Mm -hmm. I, listeners will tell you constantly, I'm talking about journaling. After you practice journal, journal. I don't care what you write, write, write something on a piece of paper for five minutes after your practice. And I get as many questions about journaling as I do meditation. There is a a big stick for some people when it comes to putting something on paper. And I would love for you to share any tips or advice for somebody who's like, well, this sounds beautiful, but what or how? Yeah. Well, I think the first most important thing to recognize is that for a whole host of reasons, you know, maybe discouragement in the past or stories that we've told ourselves, so many of us, and I think myself included, and I'm, you know, I'm a writer, we get intimidated by writing because in some ways, There is no one specific way of doing it, and that makes it more difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a set of rules, and there's not, I would say, please, like, hold on to this whenever you sit down to write or journal. There is no right or wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for poetry. That if you sit down, write something, call it a poem, it is a poem, because you say it is so. And like you are your own best judge. And so that's a great place to start. I would say what really jump-started my own journaling practice is doing what the teacher and writer Julia Cameron calls morning pages. Mm-hmm. I love Julia yeah. Cameron's book. Yeah. <laughs> the Artist Way the artist for way. listeners. Yeah. yeah. It's a great book if you feel like you're a creative person and you're a little blocked. Some people find it a little cheesy, but as I get older, I find mm-hmm. the cheesiness is just all true. It, it is very helpful. And so with morning pages, what you do is just sit down, write, if you can, longhand, just a few pages in a plain notebook. Don't make it anything special unless the ritual really helps you. But for me, I can't make it too special or too like too big a deal out of it. And basically, you just write 
whatever comes to you. And I know that's a hard place to start. And so, you know, you might start with what is bothering you, what you're happy about. A lot of folks turn to gratitude journaling. You know, we're kind of used to that as a form, a lot of us. And so that can be a place to start. Or if you're really stuck, I like to recommend doing what I call like an environmental scan. So open your senses to what's around you. If you're looking out a window, if there are sounds in the room or in the building you're in, and just describe it all. Just copy it all down, almost like a list. Like, this is what I hear. I hear this. I see the branches on the oak tree with their leaves curled up and like husks hanging on the ends. And before you know it, the writing is kind of carrying you forward. And so the trick is to practice. You know, a lot of people have told me, well, I tried doing morning pages. I tried journaling. You've probably heard this before, but I just couldn't turn off the inner critic or like I just kept judging whatever I was writing. Mm -hmm. And I would say, that's great. That's normal. That is sort of the process. You know, if you're a meditator, think about when you first started meditating and how much you were worrying about the experience, judging what was coming up. It's the same for writing. And it just takes practice to get used to being in a non-judgmental space and giving yourself permission to say whatever you want to say and making it not about product. You're not going to show anybody anything. You're not going to publish anything from these pages, um, though they may turn into other things in the future. But you can't even think about that. It's just a matter of this is only for you. And it's this practice and this space is only for you. I really value journaling and I'm glad that you recommend people do it right after they practice because I think it's the best way to capture a moment or to really hold on to an insight that might have come to us. Yes. You know, I find so often the medicine of my practice comes out in my journaling. Mm. You know, what I tell people when they ask me what I do is I literally sit down and I try to list out as many of the thoughts or daydreams that happen during my meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And nice. that always feels like a waste of time when I start. And I always finish with something that I'm like, oh, I'm going to carry this forward. This is valuable that I just realized this. I had a daydream that seemed like nothing, a throwaway moment in the middle of a practice. And actually there's profound insight in this silly 30-second daydream. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you're talking about that because I was going to ask you about, you know, sort of why you you recommend doing it right after practice. And that makes absolute sense to me. I don't always meditate before journaling, but I do find that it is mm -hmm. most useful when I've meditated and then gone into the journaling space. Because you're absolutely right. It seems like the insights, the creative urges, you know, these things that we really most want to follow come to us first as whispers. Mm -hmm. You know, they're so faint. Mm. And in order to receive them and pay attention to them, we have to be 
really present and we have to sort of stay with it. And they're so fleeting. They feel so kind of wispy. It's not unless I'm writing and allowing those things to repeatedly come up that I truly notice them. And and I think that's the other power of the journaling is that you might even write about those daydreams or those insights or thoughts you were having. And then you'll slowly start to see a pattern like, well, why am I writing yet again about reaching out to this person that I had a falling out with? You know, Mm -hmm. why does this keep coming up? And so you might find an urge or an insight there. Or, you know, if you're looking to make changes, change a job or start a new creative project, like, oh, I keep being drawn to this. I keep being drawn to this. I think you start getting in touch with the energy around something. And I know for me, I've kind of become attuned to like, oh, this feels light and exciting. I want to pursue this. Or, you know, someone approached me, let's say about a a creative collaboration. I think, wow, this feels really heavy as I'm writing about it. Like I feel that weight. And so I'm not going to pursue this. I'm not going to say yes to this. So I think the writing kind of becomes another way of being in touch with the, the energy that's flowing through us. You know, you just said something that really caught my attention, which was you're talking about writing and yet it has a feel to it. Mm. And it's an interesting juxtaposition between, I'm going to call it the head practice of I'm using my brain, I'm putting words on paper, I'm crafting something and the embodied practice. And I wonder if maybe you could speak a little bit about how you explore embodiment in your writing. Yeah. You know, I've been told by people that I do write very much of the body and embodied poetry. And that came as a surprise to me because it has taken me a long time to really fully, I feel like, be present and be grounded in my body. And it's still a continual practice, I think, that's why I've been drawn to things like meditation and, and even writing, because if we are physically writing something down, then it is coming through the body. It's happening physically. And I think, as you say, it is very easy to convince ourselves that it's just coming through the head and just pay attention to what's coming through our so-called logical or thinking mind, however you want to describe it. But what I have found is the truest poetry, the truest writing is coming almost from, you know, I want to call it a heart space, but it's really just more automatic. It's sort of this flow that is happening through the body. It's not through the logical mind. It's just happening through the body. And again, I struggle to put this into words. And even as I'm saying this, I'm like, well, that sounds pretty out there um, <laughs> for this like you know working class midwesterner to be talking about but i think that's just the truth for me and i will say too that i think that's why i really recommend doing that environmental scan because that can lead you back to your body you know you start outside of yourself and then you come back because you are opening up your senses. Your senses are mm-hmm. what 
what are guiding you to what's grabbing your attention, what's drawing you in. And when we let our bodies and our senses kind of do, do the guidance work, then it's a truer experience for the writing and I think for the meditation as well. Is that answering your question? Mm-hmm. Okay. It is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to circle back to, you made a comment earlier about wanting to make meditation, uh, not meditation, poetry feel incredibly accessible, Mm -hmm. which I think you do in an unbelievable way. And it's interesting because I am very aware that, you know, 10 years ago, I would be so intimidated to have a conversation with, I'd be like poetry. Oh, I don't even, I can't even begin to understand somewhere along the way. I developed a belief that poetry was very far above my abilities to write or read Mm -hmm. and everything from, you know, I'm holding the path to kindness in my hands and it's a small side. Like the book itself is easy to hold the texture of the pages, it has like a rough, like very pleasant hand feel to the pages. They're not glossy. It has like a raw edge to it almost. So it's like Mm -hmm. tangibly, this is a book that I would want to touch and open. The poems themselves are Mm -hmm. about experiences that I have and understand and feel. And then you even go a step further and you add these little reflective practices that are like, to me, they're like this little, hey, stop for a second. You just read something. Don't speed past it. You don't have to read the next page yet. Mm. Let's stay here for a second. Would you tell us a little bit about um, that choice to include reflective pauses? Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, you're getting the book (laughs) as I would hope that readers would. It is about just saying, you know, again, like first to myself, I love using poems as prompts, but I think we get so accustomed to reading something like a text message or a news story and just kind of speeding through it, getting the point, mm. moving on, because we're, we have a lot of information coming at us throughout the day and night and our whole lives. And with poetry, even with accessible poetry, I would say it asks a little something extra of you. And with the poems that I've included here, I would like to think that you can read them once, you know, feel that deeper charge that comes through, that maybe warmth of connection or kindness and joy. But also if you if you pause and maybe just reflect on what the poem brought up for you, not what the poem means, not what the author intended, but what does it mean to you? And what does it make you think about in your own experience? So using the poem as a prompt to just reflect on your own experience with kindness, connection, or joy. And I wanted to do that because I feel like with poetry, so many people approach it the same way you described, which is that it's something that exists in an ivory tower And there are so many poems you can't understand, which is true for me too. Mm. We think of them as puzzles that need to be figured out. And I think that's a wrong way of looking at it. You know, there are a lot of mysterious abstract poems out there, but my 
mission is to show people that there are a lot of poems being written that all of us can understand and appreciate and even use in our lives. Mm. And so I wanted to invite people to really slow down with the poems, again, if they wanted to, and really just use these prompts as a chance to journal, reflect, talk to other people about the poems. I wanted teachers to be able to use this book in the classroom with younger people to invite them to slow down and see that poetry is for them too, you know, that it's not this really difficult thing. Beautiful. I, James, I could talk to you for hours. Same here. I'm <laughs> loving this. <laughs> I want to ask you to read a poem, but I have one more question I want to get in before we do that. Sure. So this anthology, at least from reading the introduction that you wrote, is about connection in a lot of ways. And I just wonder mm-hmm. if you might talk a little bit about how poetry is a source of connection or inspires connection. Mm. Yeah, also a big question, I think, but, mm-hmm. but it does. And the reason poetry can inspire connection I think, is because it is about these charged but seemingly small moments that we have in our lives. You know, there's a great poem toward the beginning of the book called Red Brocade by Naomi Shihab Nye, and she talks about basically the practice of dropping busyness as the armor that we all put on in order not to be present or not to connect to ourselves or each other. And and I find that to be so true. And I think that poetry is an ideal tool for connection because it gives us the truth in just a few lines. It can point out something that we might not even have noticed and might not even have called kindness or connection but that we see from just the intense, condensed description in the poem, like, oh, this is a moment too. And I think it conditions us to slow down, pause, and pay more attention in our lives. And we don't have to be poetry writers to do that. We don't even have to journal necessarily. But I think just the practice of slowing down enough to read a poem that you can understand, apply to your own life, I think that it will have an effect on how you then go back to the world in the same way that meditation does. Again, that slowing down, that being grounded in the moment. So for me, that's, that's the most important effect is just the way poetry grounds us in the now and then returns us to our lives, hopefully a little changed. Mm. Here, here. Beautifully said. Will you read us one of your poems? Sure. So since I was talking about self-care quite a bit, and since I was seeing goldfinches at the bird feeder just this morning, I'll Mm. read this one. Um, This is called Self-Care. Some days it feels like a foreign language I'm asked to practice with new words for happiness work, and love. I'm still learning how to say a cup of tea for no reason, what to call the extra honey I drizzle in 
how to label the relentless urge to do more and more as useless, and how to translate the heart's pounding message when it comes enough, enough. This morning, I search for words to capture the glimmering sun as it lifts above the mountains, clouds already closing in as fat droplets of rain darken the deck. I'm learning to call this stillness self-care too, just standing here as gold finches scatter up from around the feeder like broken pieces of bright yellow stained glass reassembling in the sheltering arms of a maple. It's so beautiful, James. It's it's one that I have dog-eared in the book. Oh. I'm so happy you read it. <laughs> Thank you for dog-earing it. <laughs> a cup of tea for no reason is right. just the best line in right. the world. <laughs> That's the best thing in the world, too, and, and that extra honey as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. James, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you. Tell us where we can find out more about you. We can find out this is not your only book. You have so many beautiful books out. So tell us where we can learn more about you. Yeah. Well, you can get this book or any others really where books are sold. Um, I usually recommend going to your local independent bookstores. You can find me online at jamescruz.net. You can also follow me on social media. I am on Facebook and Instagram at james.cruz.poet. And I post my own poems, poems by others with little invitations. So um, people do seem to enjoy those, uh, those prompts to pause as well. Awesome. Thank you, James. What a treat this was. It's been my honor. I I would love to talk to you again anytime. (laughs) Same here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider leaving me a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps others to find the show. To learn more about my live classes, virtual meditation retreats, my meditation app Shoreline, or to make a donation to the show, please visit MerylArnett.com. Thanks again. I'll see you next week.